Welcome to His Church Owensboro Podcast. We are so excited about what God is doing in your life, and we would love to hear from you. Visit us at hischurch.cc and let us know about all of the things that God is doing in your life. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would consider supporting us financially, please visit hischurch.cc and click on Give to see the many options available. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message blesses you. Well, you got to make me feel at home. Aloha. Oh, you can do better than that. Aloha. Oh, remain standing. Let's get into the word. Thank you for that wonderful welcome. And uh, you already got to meet my beautiful wife, Pastor Colleen. She spoke last night. She's right up here in the front. Wave at everybody, baby. We are celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary. And um, it's, it's all your pastor's fault, you know, because they gave us three nights over there at uh, West Baden, you know, the French Lick, that resort. And we liked it so much, we took our whole family over there for this 50th anniversary. Pastor Josh is preaching over in Henderson. And... Uh, I haven't seen that campus, so I told your pastor, we need to go over there after the services today because I want to see what God's done for you. And I keep edging them on to do more. Somebody say hallelujah. Well, are you ready for the word? Take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 20, the whole chapter I'll read it fast, but it's so important I want you to see it. So let's read together. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So <clears throat> because we, when we are clothed, we are not found naked, for while we are in this tent we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed but to be clothed with our heavenly dwellings so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life oh that is a powerful phrase let me say it and say it with me so say it with me right now so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life now it is God who made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And since then we know it is, we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that we can, <clears throat> so that you can answer those who take pride 
in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for your sake. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for us, for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Everybody say that with, the, with me. They should no longer what? Live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one as from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave himself in Christ, <clears throat> and excuse me, reconciled the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against him. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me read one more passage. It's found in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 26, turn there with me just for a moment, and it's verses 19 and 20, and it's an amazing verse. So then, King Agrippa, I was not a disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet, a light upon our path. And Lord, I know we read a lot of your word today, but I ask that the word will penetrate our heart and hearts. So oftentimes we read and our minds do not comprehend. So I pray today that you by your spirit would give us revelation. Come on, people, let's pray. Spirit of the living God, come in power. Move among us. I thank you for this great church. I thank you for what you're doing through this ministry. I thank you for how you're moving by your spirit. I thank you for the many people that are getting saved and their lives are transformed. So Lord, use me today as an instrument of your grace to inspire, encourage your people to move into what you've called them to be and do. And so Holy Ghost, come on me. And come upon this great congregation. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to ask you a question. It's a serious question. What motivates you to do what you do? I'll never forget as a boy about eight years old, my brother who was a competitive swimmer taught me how to swim. And he taught me how to swim right. So right after he taught me how to swim, I got into competitive swimming, and at eight, nine years old, I was swimming hard to get a little blue ribbon. I mean, I would practice, I would do it, just to get a little blue ribbon. That's the first place ribbon. Well, that was many, many years ago. I lost all the ribbons, medals, and all the trophies. In fact, a friend of mine said, we ought to do the three-mile swim. Oh, 
And you get a trophy, and it was about this big. And I remember going to that lake with hundreds of other kids, and we did that three-mile swim, all for a trophy. I don't know where that trophy is today, nor any of those other things. But at that time, it was one of the motivating factors for me. You know, as we grow older, our motivations change. And what is interesting to me is you think about motivation, you realize that in a court of law, one's motive can determine whether one's guilty or innocent. One's motive. That's the nature of motivation. What motivates you? What motivates me? Those are questions we must ask ourselves a lot of because our motivation could be good or it could be evil. There are people that are motivated by greed and lust and pride and vengeance. And yet there are those who are motivated by things like love and other aspects of the uniqueness of us being made in the image of God. Well, that brings me to my text today. And you said, Pastor, you read the whole chapter. Yeah, I know that's very rare in church to read a whole chapter. But I had to read it because that one chapter gives you the entire motivation of the Apostle Paul. I want you to think about his motivation because it's going to challenge us to be motivated as well by the right motivation. Now think about this for a moment. In Acts chapter 14, you'll notice that Paul is stoned to death in Lystra. Now, here he's stoned to death. A miracle happens and people are starting to worship him as God. And he, he, he rebukes them. And these, these guys from another city that hated Paul the apostle stirred up the crowd and they, they literally stoned him to death. They dragged him out, it says, as dead. And the church gathered around him. And I believe it was at that time that when Paul talks in 2 Corinthians about being ushered into the third heaven, I believe it happened then. I believe that was when that took place. I believe that when the church gathered around him and began to pray, God brought him back to life. Now think about this for a moment. He gets stoned to death in Lystra, goes to the next town to do the exact same thing he got stoned to death in the last town. <clears throat> and then he goes back to the city of Lystra. Now give me a break. That would be the last place I'd want to go back to. How do you stop a person like that? You don't. You say, well, how in the world can a person live like that? Oh, he's got a higher motivation. And I want to share six ways that Paul the Apostle was motivated. We know from this text that he knew something. He knew the reality of heaven. And he longed for it. You see that there in verses 1 through 4, especially verse 4. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He had an awareness that heaven is real. You know, when I was growing up, we used to sing a lot of songs about heaven. We don't sing that many songs about heaven anymore. We're so caught up with this life, we forget that the reality of our relationship with Christ 
will come to fruition in heaven. In fact, he had a heavenward view. He lived his life, his life in light of heaven. You look at verse 8. He did not believe in soul sleep as some heretics do. He believed that the moment he died, he would be with the Lord. It's fascinating what he says. He says the same thing in Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and to 23. For, <clears throat> for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he goes on, he says, look, uh, you know, I'd like to stay here to be fruitful, but hello, <clears throat> I'm, I'm kind of in a, I'm, I, I'm in a battle here because <clears throat> I know that the moment I die, I'll be with the Lord, but I know you need me. So I think I'll probably be around a little while longer. And you wouldn't say that if you were going to have a soul sleep for 2,000 years. He knew the moment he breathed his last breath, he would be ushered into the very presence of his Lord. That motivated him. In fact, in verse 9, you'll notice Paul made it his goal to please the Lord, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Stop for a moment. Is your motivation in life to please him? Is your motivation in life the looking beyond this present life, the walk of faith where we realize the reality of heaven which we do not see is more real than what we see? You get that in your spirit and things begin to change. You're not as freaked out by what happens in this world. You're going to do your part to fix it, but this isn't your home. You're just passing through. Secondly, he's motivated by the fact that he'll have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He says that in verse 10. Think about this when he says, all of us, all of us will have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I'll have to appear there. So will you. You know, some people go, well, what, what is this, the judgment seat of Christ? Jesus is going to judge all humanity. You say, why? Because the Bible makes it very clear that you'll have no excuse. You see, <laughs> Jesus lived here. He felt everything you've ever felt. You know, the person who says, well, I couldn't serve you, God, because I was born a on the other side of the tracks and we were in poverty and that's why, hello, Jesus was born in a manger. Oh, you, you don't know rejection, God, hello. His people rejected him, his disciples rejected him. Don't you, you have no excuse when you stand before God, not one, because he lived here. He felt the same temptations you and I felt. In fact, that's why in the Gospel of John, it makes it very, very clear in chapter 5, verse 22, moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. And he has given his authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Think about it. I tell my people, my job is to make you look good on Judgment Day. That's my job. 
That's why I push you. I push you to pray. I push you to be in church. I push you to give. I push you to serve because you'll have to give an account on judgment day. I've told my people this oftentimes. I said, look, if you don't look good on judgment day, don't tell them you went to King's Cathedral. <laughs> now think about it for a moment. Think about this for just a moment. When this COVID thing hit, one of the things that really concerned me was the fact that people began to no longer see it as important to be in the house of the Lord. They could watch by streaming, and we had streaming. We had drive-in church. We had, I mean, I went out to the drive-in church, and boy, there was a couple in their pajamas eating breakfast. I mean, it was great. Praise Jesus. I said, I think I'm going to get out here in the drive-in church. But what began to really concern me is this. I kept hearing stuff like this. Well, you know, I can't come to church because I'm afraid I'll catch COVID. I said, let me ask you a question. Do you go to work? Yes. Uh, do you go to Target? Yes. Do you go to Costco? Yes. Do you go grocery shopping? Yes. And you're going to stand before God on Judgment Day and use the excuse of COVID because you couldn't go to church? Give me a break. I can't serve in the church anymore because I'm afraid. You're not afraid to go shopping. Smile at me, I'm preaching good. I get one shot, that's all I get today, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it to you. You have a short time. It's a moment in time. It's all you have. And you'll stand before God to give an account for what you did with the time he gave you. It pushes me. You say, Pastor, how is it you can pastor one church in hundreds of campuses and congregations? I don't know how it happened, but years ago, I don't know if it was a vision. I don't know if it was a dream. It's a picture that came to my mind that has been a part of my life from the beginning of our work in Maui. The picture is I'm standing before the Lord on Judgment Day, and he speaks to me, and he says, Son, why didn't you do what I told you to do? And I said to him, I said, well, <laughs> I said, look, I, I, I didn't have the money and, 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 and I didn't have the ability and I didn't have the help. And the Lord turns to me and says, son, didn't you know if you'd only tried, I would have helped you. That caused me come to a little church on Maui of 100 people and now it's multiple thousands and thousands in hundreds of congregations. We're in five building programs and I'm buying buildings everywhere I can. You say you're crazy. I'm absolutely insane. But I know one thing. I know that one day I will give an account to God for my work and labor.
imagine what would happen if everyone in this house had the same motivation as the Apostle Paul. I'm telling you what, Kentucky would not be the same. That's what I'm believing for. Hallelujah. That's what your pastors are believing for. But that brings me then, not only to the fact that he had the reality of heaven and he was motivated by the judgment seat of Christ, but he knew God is holy and he had a reverent fear of God. He says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. He knew hell was real. We've lost the concept of the reality of hell. Because if we honestly believed hell was real, we'd probably tell more people about Jesus. But we somehow have been convinced that God will let us slide. Did you know Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about heaven? Because that's why he came. He came to seek and to save the lost. We all know John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Paul understood the reality of hell. He knew the holiness of God. And the only way one could become holy would be to receive our Lord's holiness through what he did on that cross when he took our sin and exchanged his holiness, his righteousness for our sin, if we but believe. Whew. Oh, my, 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 my. My, my, my. That brings me then to the fourth thing that motivated Paul. Yes, he had a heaven perspective. He realized the judgment seat of Christ was real and he knew the holiness of God and that hell was real. But he mentions in verse 10, the love of God compels me. The love of God compels me. My dad was a great opera singer. He was full-blooded Italian, so am I, and my mom was Italian and he was going to study in the opera as a boy. He, uh, at 17, uh, got saved. And instead of going to the opera with this incredible voice he had, he became a missionary to India. And I remember him singing the song, The Love of God, How Rich and Pure, How Greater, you know, How Measureless, and on and on. And I can hear him singing, and I, and I realized how it was the love of God that moved my mom and dad to go to the most difficult city in all the world, Calcutta, India, where I was born, and to establish a work there today is one of the great works of India, where he went to the Philippines and pastored the largest church in the nation, was almost assassinated. My, my mom uh, attacked. I mean, it was evil, evil beyond comprehension. But they stood strong, and today that's a church of 40 to 50, 60,000 people today. What, what, what motivated him? The love of God. In fact, Paul describes what it means to be in love with God and to have God's love flow through us. 
He said God's love was shown by reconciling us through Christ there, verse 19. And then he says something very powerful. He says, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Oh, I, I, I can't handle it. He's saying, God, you're the face. You see, Jesus is the face of the Father. We're the face of Jesus in our world. Jesus uses our voice to make his appeal through us. He uses our hand to, to make his appeal of compassion to others. He uses our feet to put us in the place where we need to be. Friend, it's the love of God attempting to be expressed in a broken world. And the most amazing thing, he uses broken people like us to express his love. I can't handle it. I can't handle it. Lord, overwhelm me with your love so that I could be your ambassador. But the fifth thing, let's review for just a moment. Heaven was real to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul knew clearly that he would stand before the Lord on judgment day. And thirdly, he knew that God was a holy God and hell is real and he persuaded men because he knew the terror of the Lord. And fourth, it was the love of God that compelled him. But the fifth thing, <laughs> he's standing before King Agrippa defending himself, tells the story of his conversion, and then he says these words that is a shockeroo. He said, I've not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. God gives us vision. God gives us, it may not be a literal vision where you are transported into another realm. It could be a hope vision like Paul describes there in the book of Romans chapter 15 when he tells the Roman church that he wants to go to Rome on his way to Spain. And he asks them to pray for them for that to happen. And I've noticed something about vision. If you don't have the prayer power behind it, it will never happen. Paul knew that. That's why even in his writing to tell the Roman church, this is what I want you to pray with me about. You can read it there in Romans 15. Specific prayers. And every one of those prayers were fulfilled. Every one. And one of the things that has happened in our church, you may wonder, how could you be a church from a little tiny island in the Pacific and be thousands of people? In, in, we're, in, we're in 20 states now and in 19 nation, 17 nations and all through the state of Hawaii and all the islands. And we own buildings after buildings. You say, how does that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. In 1984, my father joined my staff. He was a man of prayer. And he started the early morning prayer meeting from 5.30 to 6.30. And that early morning prayer meeting has gone unstopped from 1984 till today. Every day. When I'm standing here preaching to you, there are people praying for their pastor. That somehow God will use him to somehow do something in your heart and mind. And every project, everything has been, is overwhelmed by prayer. It's the only way vision happens. I wish I could just say, if I speak it, it'll happen. 
Declaration is important, no question, but if it's not backed by prayer, you just got wishful thinking. We just finished up, completed our previous vision. We had a one-year vision. We just entered our new vision. I think Pastor Shannon may have shared it with you last night. It's called the 12-120. You go, what in the world is that? I was praying because I, I don't come up with visions out of my own mind. I cry out to God. I say, God, give me your vision. What do you want? Friend, all of you, God has something for you to do. It's not just Dr. Morocco. It's all of us. There's something that he wants you to do. He puts it in your heart. It could be a passion. It could be a burden. Just something, a thought. Oh, you know, I could do that. I could help. I, I, I could get involved. I could do something. And that one little drop, that seed planted in your heart may be the very thing that moves you to fulfilling what God's plan is for your life. So as I cried out, vision became 12-120. Between now and four years from now, 2025, we'll be in 1,200 campuses ministering to 120,000 people. I believe it with all my heart. We're going to do everything in our power to do it. We've never had money to do anything we've ever done. It's come in supernaturally. I'm going to tell you what happened. Probably they already told you, but about two months ago, we were hit by our media big time. We're the only church in all of Hawaii that was hit this way. They accused us of being a COVID cluster. They never declared anybody else but us. We're the biggest thing on Maui. We're a big... You know, we're a, we're a big target. Every news item, all the papers throughout the state, all the television news. And it was the Friday before Easter. And I'm going to tell you what, Easter, in terms of numbers of people coming to church, was smaller than we'd had for 40 years. But I began to pray, God's going to turn this to good. And that Sunday, people got saved. And then the next Sunday, a couple came to me after the service, moved deeply by, by what happened. And she was, she was the daughter of a business couple that used to attend our church. They, were, they lived in the Northwest, but they had, a, they had a condo on Maui. And they'd come and they'd worship with us when they were here on, on Maui on vacation. And he sold his condo and left. And I hadn't seen him for a number of years but his daughter was there and she was moved and her husband was there. And a few days after they returned back to the mainland, I got a call from my business friend who would come to church when he was with us. And he said, he said, he said, you know, uh, and he shared with me what he was doing. He's retired now. He's created a trust and he's developing all over the world uh, Bible translations and blessing thousands of people. And he said, you know, he said, 
When I sold my condo on Maui, I, I thought of you and your ministry. He says, I'm going to send you some money. Well, four days later, he sent some money. It was $1.2 million. That's some money. And God turned that situation of COVID where we were blasted to good. I don't do things because I have money. I do things because I have a vision. That brings me to the final thing, and I'm right on time. <laughs> There's been times I've come, and you know, I just get going, and, but I know you guys got to get pick up the kids. The last thing and the most important. Let's review. Are we all together? You got it all memorized? What's the first one? You can't remember. I know. Here. <laughs> seeing, seeing heaven is real. What's the second one? Standing before the judgment seat of Christ. What's the third one? He knew God is holy and he had to re, he had a reverent fear of God. He knew hell was real. Fourth, the love of God compelled him. Fifth, he was given a vision and he fulfilled it. And the sixth thing, he was filled with God's spirit. Verse five, he was directed by the Holy Spirit. He was empowered by the spirit. I love what Paul writes in Romans 15, verse 18 and 19. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through us in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Holy Ghost. In Acts 16, he wanted to go into Bithynia. God said no. Holy Spirit said no. Wanted to go to Asia. Holy Spirit said no. Friend, listen to me. The greatest motivator you have is the Holy Ghost in you. He wants to get out. He wants to speak through you. He wants to do miracles through you. If you'll stay filled with the Holy Ghost, if you'll hunger for more of Him, you're going to find yourself being directed and empowered and lives being changed. I want you to stand to your feet with me, please. Lift both hands in the air and begin to worship the Lord. You're a worshiping church. You're a worshiping church. Come on, let's worship the Lord. Can you lead us in one chorus of praise? Listen to me a second. I want you just right out loud. Lift your voice and begin to praise him. Just begin to praise him. Praise him that you're here today. Thank him for what he's done in your life. Thank him that he is going to motivate you to do greater things for him. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing right now in this place. Spirit of the living God, come in power and in might. Come upon your people. If you have the freedom to pray with your spirit, just begin to pray right out loud in the Holy Ghost. Spirit of the living God, come. 
Fill, fill, fill believers today with your spirit, oh God. I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. You're so awesome, so wonderful, so mighty, so mighty. You want to do great and mighty things. How many of you believe that God could do a greater work in your life and through you? Let me see your hand. Wave at me if you believe that. Could, could you join me for a moment? Would you just step out from where you're standing? Just fill the front here. I know that, that I, I'm limited in my ability to just lay hands on everyone, but could I? You say, I, I, I want to be used by God more. I, I, I want to I have his motivation running my life, not the fears of this world. I want to be used by God mightily. I believe you do. Just lift your hands toward heaven. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this great congregation. I see so much potential. It's, it scares the devil. Father, ignite them. Ignite them by the power of the Holy Ghost. Let them see the reality of heaven. Let them realize that one day they will have to give an account. Oh, God, do it, do it, do it. Lord, may they understand the reality of hell and their need to be a witness. Lord, may your love compel them, give them a vision not only of their own life, but what you could do through them. Help them to embrace the vision of their pastors. God, use the Gibsons powerfully and their entire team to fulfill the vision you've given his house. And Father, I pray that you fill them overflowing in the Holy Ghost. Lord, I thank you and I praise you. Pray this prayer with me out loud, everyone. Dear Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. And I long to do your will. Drop into my life what you'd have me do. Use me, Lord, for your glory. Help me to encourage others to be used by you. Help me to prepare others for Judgment Day. And Lord, I ask you'll use my church, his house, for your glory, for your honor, and for your praise. In Jesus' name, amen.